Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. If you're just joining me, this podcast looks at all the works of Philip K. Dick in roughly chronological order. Um, We're currently looking at the stories of 1954, and I think we're about halfway through this large set of stories. I think there's about 25 of them. And we'll be looking in this episode at Survey Team. Survey Team is a nice little story about ecology and about the human impact on the environment and our I guess the morality of our use of the earth. I guess that's the way we could sum up what this story is about. Um, it was originally published in Fantastic Universe in May of 1954, although you probably will find it in uh, most likely in the second volume of the collected stories of Philip K. Dick, uh, which has its cover that we can remember for you wholesale. So um, what I do in these episodes is I look at the plot summary and then I look at some analysis and I give my thoughts and comments as as they come to me uh, throughout it. So in this story, we have a survey team, essentially. Uh, They're on the planet Earth. They're near Colorado. It's, It's two men, Halloway and Young. Now, this is set on Earth after a a devastating war. And so a mine goes off and it's kind of like a signal flare. Um, So the the war is over, but there's still this remnants of of the war. And if you know, if you follow the news on, you know, like in Southeast Asia, where they're still finding cluster bombs dropped by the United States, you know, this, you know, this stuff is a real problem in the world today. the U.S. dropped a lot of bombs in on, on Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War. But, you know, that kind of made me think of that. Now, whatever beauty used to be on Earth is, is long gone. There's just rubble and devastation and destruction. Um, the characters don't really have that clear of a memory of it. Well, Young definitely has no memory of the time before the war. Halloway did. He's a little bit older and he has some memory of it. Um, now, a rocket lands and this rocket contains a report about other surveys on Mars and the report from Venus was not encouraging. So they read the report from Mars and they find out that Mars will be a fine place to emigrate to. The surface conditions are okay. With the other planets of the solar system not really possible for human habitation, they're really looking for a place to relocate to, to emigrate to because Earth is so devastated. And Mars is really the last chance for humans to escape this system of like underground bunkers. So there's actually a couple levels of survey here. You got Young and Halloway as like a survey team on the surface of Earth, you know, testing conditions and it's all bad. And, you know, you have the survey teams going out to the different planets, particularly Mars and Venus. The humans living in the bunker during a war, of course, has been explored in other works by Philip Dick, particularly The Defenders. His novel, The Penultimate Truth, is based on that idea. So this is not the first time he's used this device. Uh, even, what's the other one? Um, Planet for Transients is another story that has a post, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic setting in which 
the remaining humans are kind of living underground in bunkers trying to find a place to live. So this story might remind us a lot of Planet for Transients, which you can look at my comments on a few weeks ago. Now, people, you know, could survive in the underground bunkers. That wasn't so much a question of, of survival, but they're going insane. And this is something he doesn't really deal with in some of his other bunker stories. And so it's a nice little uh, introduction. You know, what would be the impact of living in bunkers for years and years to, or one's whole life on one's mental status? Reclamation of Earth, you know, could take might would take too long, right? So, the survey team, including Halloway Young, and there's a captain and a navigator, they all go off to Mars. So it's, you know, the next scene we're we're arriving on Mars to get a closer look at what's going on there. Halloway wonders if there's still Martians on the planet, or possibly an alien civilization. They get to the surface by jumping from a moving rocket and on the surface they see the ruins of an ancient civilization the survey team begin to um, begins establishing a defense and scouting for food and just basically doing the things that a survey team would do Halloway concludes that the civilization of on earth you know was, was long dead Mason notices that Mars was not destroyed in war but rather used up Sorry, not the civilization, or the civilization on Mars was long dead. That Mars was not destroyed in a war the way Earth was being destroyed by a war. Instead, Mars was just being used up, being kind of ecologically destroyed, or its resources were used up. The term is used up. Young excuses the Martians, accuses the Martians of being wasteful, uh, of getting what they deserved. Some crew members find written documents and bring them to Holloway. And, you know, course there couldn't be in a different language but there's kind of records of the civilization too and it seems that the mark what they can kind of tease out by these records um, is that the martians did not die they fled mars when they had finished using it up the records show that they found a useful planet and moved the entire population there but the colonies on the new planet fell into war and barbarism with mars no good Young, you know, used up, essentially. Yeah, they can live there, but there's really not really resources. Young suggested the humans follow the Martians. They must have gone outside the solar system. They must have gone to a different planet. You know, and if they really fell into barbarism, they could be defeated and maybe even conquered. So let's just follow the Martians and, and take a planet from them. But Carmichael, one of the people on the survey team who's working on these documents... He uses a telescope that's been frozen into place. And, he, and this is going to point to the, the planet that the Martians escaped to. And all the documents prove that the planet the Martians were going to move to was pristine and rich and, and really a great place to move to. But Carmichael concludes that the telescope is broken because it only shows Earth. Um, if you're paying attention, you probably know the punchline of this story. Um, but... It's essentially that the Martians moved to Earth, that the humans are the Martians from the distant past. Now, later, Young explains that the descriptions of the escape planet fit Earth's situation thousands of years ago. Humans on Earth, therefore, must have descended from these Martian refugees. Halloway decides to use Martian technology to continue the search outside of the solar system. But Mason suggests that it would be wrong for the species the Martian slash human, the Martian slash earthling species to destroy a third planet. 
But nevertheless, the others are already dreaming of settling into a new world. So what we basically have here is Mar Mars used up ecologically through, I guess, overproduction, just the ecological dilemma, the ecological violence. And then Earth is used up by war. And, you know, do we, is it just to then destroy another place, right? At some point, do you say humanity doesn't deserve a third chance? So now analysis here. Um, the survey team story is a story of two planets, one destroyed by unsustainable consumption and the other destroyed by war. The original Martians used up every single natural resource on their lush planet and were forced to flee to Earth. Now, they would have done the same to Earth. And certainly Dick thinks this is fully in the capacity of, of human uh, greed to use up a planet. It's what he does in in novels like or short stories like Autofact. So the Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is the same kind of thing where Earth is just kind of the leftovers of, of a civilization. But instead of consuming Earth, what happened is the various colonies broke up into these tribes and these formed into like the Paleolithic communities or maybe the early civilizations. There are different kind of river valley civilizations, perhaps. This gives them a second chance. It's a different condition. It's a different kind of way of life. But eventually war destroys Earth, forcing the Terran Martians to seek out a new home. The story seems to... Well... If you've watched the rebooted Battlestar Galactica, you, you kind of have this idea here of a cycle of, of kind of destroying a civilization, rebuilding it, destroying, you know, and they, they got a line in that series where this has all kind of happened before. The descent into barbarism was a conscious choice. And, or in, the, in the story, they actually become barbarians. They become like early human Paleolithic. They join up with Paleolithic tribes to get away to avoid this endless cycle. They have to destroy the technology. That's that's the ending of that series. Here it's forced on them by the fact that that there's war or their planet was destroyed or whatever. The suggestion is that the Martians had a rather unified culture. Right? Maybe that culture was sustained by rampant consumerism. I think one of the interesting things about this history of consumerism in, in cultures like the United States is in, in the United States, you had this, this multi-ethnic civilization, right? People brought from all over Europe or from Africa, you had Native American people, and they all kind of form a, a community, right? And it's often very conflicted and very, there's a lot of ethnic enclaves there. Right? The nation is, is still kind of, was kind of patchwork. What happened to that? Well, you could say we're still kind of patchworked or the United States still has this patchwork uh, situation, but certainly it's hard to deny that popular culture and consumerism provides some glue to this, right? While Europe, it was nationalism, ideologies. In America, it was much more consumerism, right? It's baseball becomes the American pastime, a, a form of leisure, a form of consumption, right? So the Martian culture had this unified consumer culture. It was very destructive to the planet. But maybe it was something that prevented war. There's no evidence of war on Mars. The shift to a Paleolithic way of life may have avoided the dangers of consumerism and overconsumption and, and ecology, but it set the ground for a new set of problems, that is war and barbarism and long-term divisions, long-standing divisions between human beings that break 
broke us up into communities that would be naturally struggling and fighting against each other. It's sort of like humans traded war you know, for unsustainability. Now, obviously, we have both. We have an unsustainable you know, ecological situation and plenty of war and the risk of war. But here it's kind of presented as a choice. Mars, the unified, peaceful culture that's not sustainable, and Earth, the divided culture that's going to be at war constantly, war that will eventually lead to the destruction of the planet. Dick here really takes a very pessimistic role in this story. The survey team has plans to migrate outside the solar system. Um, to quote the story, Juddy and Young and Halloway gazed up, faces eager, hands clenching and unclenching, as if they were already there, as if they were holding onto a new world, clutching it with all their strength, tearing it apart atom by atom, end quote. I've talked a lot in this podcast about how Philip K. Dick believes in a frontier and he thinks in the necessity of a frontier for human recreation. And I've also alluded to the fact that later in his work, he sort of goes away from this idea. He starts to doubt the frontier. This might be the first evidence we have of Dick starting to doubt the frontier as a solution to humanity's problems. Mason, whose point of view describes this final scene, has the more wise position. He's the one who thinks that humans own Mars and own Earth, or at least they own Mars as their birthright, and should settle there. They should make the devastated, horrible Mars their planet, because it's 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 you 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 come back into the home you destroyed, but it's your job to fix it up and and make it habitable. You can't just keep running from from your from your ecological problems. Escape, finding another planet outside the solar system is in a sense the easy solution. Sustainably remaking Mars, or for that matter going back to Earth, is presented in the story early on as the hard thing. The thing they can't do is easier to emigrate. The sustainability of living in bunkers is never questioned in some of the other stories where Dick has this setting. You know, in The Defenders and in The Penultimate Truth, and even in the planet for transients, yeah, people don't want to be in the bunkers. They want to get out, but it's not presented as a as like a psychological problem. I think there's a really nice addition in this story by having the people get anxious about living in the bunker, starting to get a little bit of cabin fever. Here, Dick suggests that living underground causes mental illness and has the effect on the development of children born in these conditions. And we have characters in this story who are, in fact, born fully underground in these bunkers. Now, our culture, or modern culture, has voluntarily moved inside more and more over the last century. Homes are larger, they're much more versatile, they're more connected to the outside world. There's fewer and fewer reasons for people to go outside anymore. Amazon can send you your materials with things you want. I think, I think it's an Amazon has bought Whole Foods and it's going to be able to deliver your groceries to you in one big package every month. What else? You can communicate to friends through the, through the internet. You, can, you don't have to go to the movies anymore because you can have it beamed in digitally. People can work from home now, right? There's, all, there's fewer and fewer reasons to go outside. So we, we can sort of become bunker dwellers, but not because of war, but more, more, like, more, more like the Martians in the sense that we'd be kind of hedgehogging into our consumer culture. You know, the normal reasons for going out as a kid, you know, like playing with friends or, or shopping or going to church, you know, they're not there for a lot of people or the clubs, right? Or, you know, baseball league. Uh, 
sports, this stuff becomes less important to us. I do think we're losing a third space. I haven't talked about it much in this podcast, or actually, or in the 100 Pages podcast. It hasn't really come up yet, but, you know, this, this idea that, that we kind of need a third space. You know, there's work and there's home, but there needs to be a vibrant third space. Um, you know, sports clubs or social clubs or the Elks or the Lions or all these kinds of groups, Boy Scouts, bowling leagues, the pub, just the saloon, the labor union. These were all things that kind of formed third spaces for people. And yeah, it was very gendered, right? Because women weren't really often given that third space. They were usually assumed that they just had the home. And so when there was third spaces open up, it tended to be men. So yeah, that's there. But I think we might be losing this a little bit as people kind of retreat into things we hear like the internet community stuff. And we do see a rise in mental illness. And I'm sure the reasons for that are complex and, and, you know, can't be summed up and everyone having cabin fever. But, you know, we, I think we lose something. Not, it's not just about going outside in fresh air kind of thing, but you need to have that third space. And, you know, and I think that's, I'm trying to imagine what life would like be in these bunkers. And I think that'd be part of the problem people would, would face is really just kind of getting away from their small cubicle. Really, where do you go for you know, for space, personal space. I even feel just living in Taiwan where, you know, there's so many people in a small chunk of land. So um, that does it for survey team. It, it's a pretty coherent, focused story. Uh, there's really only the two themes I can think of that is really these diff different ways of destroying the earth. And what's the moral obligation about that? You know, do we have a duty to own the damage we cause? Or is it possible through technology to just run away from our problems by you know finding a new planet or you know your marriage is messed up you screwed up your marriage you got in a big fight we'll get a divorce and find someone new you know try start over again you know is that the best way to s deal with our problems um, I I hope not I think Dick doesn't you know is sort of saying here that we should own our own the things we devastate and destroy the other one being you know just what is the the effects of kind of living underground and in close quarters and without sunlight and nature or without kind of a third space what is the effect on that of you know people's mental health so i guess that does it uh thank you so much for listening um and i'll be back with another story one another one of philip kiddick's stories shortly come and possess my tired thoughts once That leaving dies, that leaving